Hi, everyone. I'm super excited about uh, sharing the show. Um, this is with a, a, a friend of mine, someone I look up to. I would never tell him that. Uh, someone I, uh, I've, I've learned a lot from personally. And uh, Dave Maxfield, is a, he's an attorney here in, in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, we got to know each other uh, through a co-working space that we both belong to. And uh, Dave and I just sort of hit it off. And we had some great conversations over the years uh, about things like apps and marketing technology and formulas to you know help streamline business and all kind of cool stuff. So anyway, Dave is... Um, one of those people who knows a lot about his topic, which is, you know, the legal profession, but he's also uh, someone who loves to learn and and incorporate those things into what he's doing uh, to improve his business, which I think is is really kind of a, a a genuinely nice approach to both life and work. <laughs> um, so it's always fun to talk to him. Uh, we had a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's it's. Every, again, every time I talk to Dave about this kind of thing, it, it helps me refine what I'm doing. And um, after this conversation we had a few days ago, I've already uh, gone back to a couple of things like our combine board and working uh, with some of the, the formulas that we're going to get later. There's links down in the show notes to everything, but I highly, highly encourage you to, to listen to this. Grab uh, some pen and paper or your iPad or however you take notes, your keyboard, whatever. If you're driving, just pull over and just listen to the whole show and start taking notes now, because uh, you're gonna you're gonna need to uh, really sort of digest some of this. So, and remember that uh, you can always go to thinking.fm, just type in thinking.fm, and you can find all of the old shows with uh, really interesting people and thoughts and and things that I'm working on, plus show notes and links and blog posts and all kind of fun stuff. Thinking.fm. So now I give you Dave Maxfield. Dave Maxfield, how are you? Sam Harrelson, how are you? So professionally, do you go by David Maxwell Esquire, or is it just Dave, or how do you? Well, it's you actually, know? it's Dave Maxfield Esquire. Esquire. Maxwell? Yeah, neither of us can say it. No, it's Maxfield. Maxfield? I said Maxfield. You said Maxwell. Did I say Maxwell? Jeez. We're getting off to a horrible start here. <laughs> this is just, you've only known me for two and a half years, probably, so I, that's okay. Something we, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Max, well, Sam Haroldson, how are you? <laughs> you got to put the D in there. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, we're we're past the holidays. We're we're into a new year, and uh, yeah, and everything feels completely different, doesn't it? It's everything changed at midnight, you know. And I know. I've I haven't stopped blind. singing "Whole New World" from that Disney movie for like the last four days. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, you know, lions are lying down with the lambs and. <laughs> back to normal there's no virus there's no trump yeah i knew it was just a temporal problem it really just we just had to get over that you know that one day and then everything would be good so uh, yeah so everything's great actually yeah yeah um, yeah so what do you what do you do dave what uh, max maxwell maxwell what, max your... whoever yeah well i am sam as you should well know i'm a consumer protection lawyer um, in Columbia, South Carolina, and I have a, a small, I guess you'd call it a boutique or a niche firm where we really only represent people in cases, uh, represent consumers in cases against banks and credit reporting agencies and insurance companies and debt collectors. So what we do is very specific and very narrow, um, and that lets us do a lot of kind of cool things that, you know, when I was in law school, I didn't realize I'd get to do. 
but um yeah but i mean the law profession or the legal profession isn't known for its cutting edge use of you know tech or new thought technologies or, well i mean to be fair we did move to synthetic wigs in 1997 so i don't know why people say that but the great uh, yeah very wigged. but we we yes it is actually it is the um probably maybe one of the slowest moving um industries if you will that that i can think of certainly that i've been involved with um and you know the the good thing about that i guess is it allows for a lot of opportunities if you're willing to maybe think a little bit differently and i think a lot of that's kind of has has bled into the law lately a lot of things from other industries that are move a little faster we've started to kind of take heed of some of that but um but yeah yeah because that's always been the, the the thing that you hear about like you know i come from the tech world and that's always been the thing we hear about you know social media or vr or blockchain or whatever it's it's well the, the law hasn't caught up to this yet so we have to be <laughs> really careful about how we you know think about twitter or how we think about interacting in you know this sort of a space or whatever and we've got yeah. to let, we've got to let the law and the ethics catch up to where this technology has pushed us oh that's a i think that's 100 percent true and i mean that is what you hear all the time and we're really almost talking about two different things when we talk about the legal profession and, and technology and one of them is the one you just mentioned where you know technologies are developing so fast that the law really can't catch up with it um, and just as an example of that, I teach consumer protection law at the um, University of South Carolina Law School. And one of the things, like there's a lot of consumer protection statutes that give consumers certain rights if they provide notice to you know, creditors or collectors. And a lot of those kinds of notice are, are still really pen and paper or maybe pen and typewriter kind of notices. I mean, you are, um, you know, email notices aren't sufficient or text message notices aren't sufficient. Um, and so I, you know, one of the things I actually had a student write a paper last semester that was just like, shouldn't we maybe modify some of the notice requirements and consumer protection statutes? Because, um, you know, that it's the, the idea of having to like, you know, type out a letter and put it in an envelope and address it and put a stamp on it. I mean, I don't even know how the hell to do that anymore. I don't think. So, <laughs> right. and, and, you know, and, and nobody in my kids' generation who, you know, they're 19, 20, that does really. And so, um, and interestingly, on the other side of the coin, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has just now started to allow debt collectors to contact people um, by social media or by text in some situations or by email when they couldn't it wasn't really clear they could do that before so now we've with got, social media really yeah so um yeah i know and that's that's going to be real interesting how that shakes out but um we have at least i guess a one-way street now but the that street for consumers giving notice to debt collectors doesn't necessarily go the other way right. um so yeah that's one way the law is behind and i don't know honestly I mean, something in the way that the law is, is made would probably have to change to be able to close that gap because, I mean, the technology is moving so fast. You know, like, how do you legislate or should you? There's a different question, but, you know, something like Twitter, you know, there's not, it's just happened to before they could really deal with it. And so, and, and I think the gap is probably widening rather than closing it. And the only time you get the legislature's attention is, uh, probably when something affects them negatively <laughs> yeah yeah well you know? yeah, just even the, the the notion of having a home address you know like that's changed so much in the last right 50 years but definitely in the last even 20 years 
or, yeah, or like, yeah, our home phone numbers. You right. Know, <laughs> got that anymore. So that's one way um, that I mean, I think that that affects the law sort of universally. I mean, that's a that's a big societal problem. I think the problem that I've been like most interested in solving at kind of a, a much smaller level is is how does technology like how do lawyers adapt to technology to take advantage of it for their business purposes? And right. That's, that's what uh, I wanted yeah. to really talk to you about, because I mean, like you said, we, we've known each other for a few years now. And, and yeah. I've always been really interested in the conversations we've had about how you and your team use technology and things like, you know, you're, you're, you have Dave as a podcast that we'll mm -hmm. talk about and, and link to as well. And, you know, how you're willing to share with other uh, colleagues and, you know, students of, about what you do differently, it, it, you know, within the realm of the legal profession, that's still, you know, very cutting edge for any small business. I mean, I, I think, it, you know, the, yeah, the big takeaway here, I think, is that not only is what you're doing, you and your team, uh, really kind of interesting for you know, the legal side, but, you mm -hmm. know, if, if you're whatever, you know, if you're a welder, a car dealership, whatever, like you can take away some of the, uh, the practices that, that you're doing. And I think it's a, a really cool uh, way to, to enter a pretty niche market and, and make a name for yourself. Well, yeah, I think that's the, the, the cool thing is, is like, and, and, and getting back to like the premise, lawyers have been, you know, how do, how do, what do you think of a lawyer and you think about, well, how do they make money? You know, how do they bill for things? How do they, and, and that's what they do. They, you know, they keep track of their hours and they send you this bill and they're, we're like the only profession maybe that can get away with something like, well, how much is this going to cost? Well, you know, it just depends on how long it takes and well, how long is it going to take? Well, we won't really oh. know until, you know, X, Y, and Z happens. And, and like, if you had a plumber come to your house and you asked him those questions and he told you that you'd kick that guy down the street. Because yeah. I just had that conversation this morning. Someone was like, I broke my website. Can you help me fix it? And I was like, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. You ever stuff? Well, how much is it going to cost? I'm like, I don't, what did you break it with? <laughs> Let me get in there and, and see, you know, like you need to right. oil it or, or are we going to have to replace all the plumbing? Yeah, that's exactly. And but I mean, that at least is something that I, th I think people can say, well, once Sam looks at this and knows what's going on, you know, then I can give, give you a maybe, price, right? give you an estimate. Right. But the what you know, what we have maybe that's also unique is we have, at least in litigation, somebody who's actively trying to undo everything that we do. So it's kind of like a, you build a you know, snowman and you roll the ball into place and then you put the next one on and you put the head on, you turn around and somebody's, you know, karate kicked the head off. So <laughs> It's like really that we have that aspect of things too. And so um, the, the problem though is I think for consumers or for clients of lawyers is they get this answer, like they don't know how much it's gonna cost um, and they don't have like really any certainty with that. And so that's disconcerting for the, for the consumer end of it, for the client end. On the lawyer end, we have this, like when we start to think about things, and you say, well, I'm going to be a guy who spells, bills $300 an hour or whatever. And that sounds really great. And that's a lot of money. But, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. So you immediately have an upper limit that you can only exceed by doing one of two things, which is charging more per hour, which is going to piss people off even more typically. Um, or you can kind of do the traditional big firm thing where you say, well, I'm going to do this, but then I'm going to get these associates underneath me and I'm going to build this big pyramid. And one day I'm going to be at the top of it and I'm not going to have to do that much, but I'm going to get a bunch of money and all these people under me are going to do all the work. And, you know, one day we'll have 80 people working for us. And, and, and that's basically like great, but that's also like basically Amway. 
and you know it's sort of you know that that is there are a lot of problems with that the and, and that that also of course circles back to the consumer who gets this bill or this quote from this big law firm that's kind of uncertain and all they know is they're going to pay a bunch of money an hour and all of that's just not a great formula for the 21st century you know it's yeah, maybe it's really it, interesting yeah there was a time when that kind of worked but you know especially i think with the pressure law firms get from DIY products. Yeah, I was gonna say with legal zoom and that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah, now, where it's like, oh, a trademark costs four ninety nine or whatever. So yeah, I'll, I'll pay that because. Yeah. yeah, and not only that, but you have so you have like these kind of and there's some very good products out there like that that solve problems for people that, you know, they maybe they don't need a lawyer at all. Um, and it gets you know way weirder than that too. But then you have like, if you are in one of these firms and you're doing kind of a commodity thing where you're saying we're gonna do all the you know, these kinds of transactions are going to represent defendants in all these car wreck cases and the insurance companies are going to, um, we're going to charge them 250 an hour on kind of this big contract and that's, it will do 400 cases for them a year, whatever it is, you're going to get pushed down on your price too, because yeah. you're a commodity at that point. They can just go, well, you know, Jones and Smith up the street say they'll do it for 210. What do you yep. say? And yep. so you get, you know, Walmart treatment and, um, so all of a lot of what I've done is like, well, how do we get out of that box? And um, and I can kind of tell you what we did and what we looked at to try to do that a long time. Yeah, ago. totally. Because I mean, what our conversations over the last few years have helped me personally and professionally, like get out of that box, because, yeah, I mean, there was a time when I was saying, OK, well, I'm going to you know charge this much an hour. I'm going to book this many hours a month and here's what I'm going to make. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. But yeah, like you said, it, you get into the situation where it's a race to the bottom with, with the rates. Right. And you really do feel like you, you make yourself a commodity. So yeah, whether you're yeah. a farmer or building websites or, or, you know, working with consumer law, like I think there's a real danger long term in, in structuring your, your revenue that way. Yeah, for sure. And of course, you hit that pr- problem too of, well, there's only so many hours a day that, you yeah. know, your wife's going to let you work. And that, yeah, you know, so she- unless you build up, you know, like you said, the kind of the pyramid or, or yeah. kind of the old school, okay, well, I'm going to be the partner and I'm going to, you know, have lunch at the Capital Club and, and do all the <laughs> things the partner does. And, you know, those young people are going to do all the work. Yeah. But, you know, and, yeah. And then you got, you, you almost have to take up golf at that point, which I really have like zero interest in. So I run for like, house, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. You know, I, who knows? There's all kinds of things that come with it that, you know, um, anyway, yeah, so what, what have y'all done? I mean, how, what's, what's the solution? Well, the solution to me is like, here's the, here's the solution. The solution is you mentioned like welders and car dealerships. And I think like the first thing that like a long time ago, I started like looking at books for lawyers is like, well, how to be more profitable, more productive or run a better firm. Never really found things that broke any kind of the, of the mold that we're talking about, you know? And so I started looking at industries that were like outside of the legal profession. And I, I read a book called The Goal by Elie Hogan. Elihu, you I can't say it. We can't. Nobody can say anybody's name today. By Goldrat, Elihu Goldrat. That's probably I'm grossly mispronouncing his name. Who's a <laughs> was an Israeli physicist who's who is has died not too far in the distant past, but really wrote this great sort of business novel called The Goal, which is about sort of turning around this manufacturing firm. And what you what it leads into is is the idea things that you see in like the Toyota production system or Lean Six Sigma and things like that. Uh, but I guess the, the the realization I had is that, look, my law firm is really just like every other business. 
you know, we think we're so special and so different, but all we're doing is like doing what every business does, which is to take some kind of raw material and put it through some kind of process and have some, you know, product come out the other side. Oh my God. And, I, just, I, I just had a conversation on, on our previous show mm -hmm. with a person who made this exact same analogy about their industry. And he was saying like, yeah, you know, Henry Ford saw these meat packers in Chicago taking mm -hmm. a cow and processing it down and said, hey, we could do that for a car. And, you know, I'll build this rose plant and on one side, you get in all the, the raw materials and out comes a Model T, you know, yeah. a mile down the, <laughs> on the other side of the, uh, the factory. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, that is, and then Henry Ford is a, a great example too. And I, it actually, there's a guy named Frederick Winslow Taylor who wrote this book in like 1911, I think called like the principles of scientific management. That was sort of one of these touchstones from like that time when people started to kind of see things that way. But what, let me ask you just out of curiosity, what industry was your other guest in? He uh, was in the electric vehicle and clean tech space. Okay. So he's actually in the sort of that the vehicle industry, which is a pretty natural jump, but this, you know, for the legal industry, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all, but we're all doing the same thing. I mean, that sort of illustrates the point, you know, you have um, for a, a vehicle producer, they're getting raw material, they're turning it into a vehicle and they're selling that vehicle. They get their money on the back end when, you know, they sell it to a dealer or that, you know, somebody buys that vehicle and lawyers do the same thing. We take some kind of, you know, our raw material is sort of people with problems or businesses with problems or that need something, you know, in the legal space. And we're going to take that raw material of a person with a problem and we're going to put them through a process. And on the other side, we're going to get paid for doing that once we solve that problem for them. And you're doing the same thing. You know, somebody comes into you and they want a certain job done and you're solving a problem and you're getting paid. And so, you know, the traditional lawyer model was to get paid you know for that work on the on the as you go kind of which leads to a lot of problems that we already talked about also collection problems that we didn't talk about but on the you know a, a lot of the work i do um, i i represent people in contingent cases so a lot of my fees come only if i succeed so it's kind of a pay for performance kind of thing you know right. or if i recover something for them i get paid on a percentage of that but the first important feature, so, so my money sometimes comes on the back end like that. Um, the first important feature of that is it's not necessarily tied to how much effort I have to put into that case. Sometimes I, I can am. take a case and, you know, if my process is really good, you know, I can make a really good product in a really short period of time and make a really good return on that, 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 you know, and there's no limit on, on that. Um, you know, of course, if, if, when I sometimes represent people on a fee-based case, I always do it on a flat fee so they know what they have to pay. And that money comes even sooner. It comes on the front end. Um, and this is really some very, except for the professions that charge by the hour, which are dwindling, I think, this is what basically every business does. We put raw material through a process, get paid for doing it. And so once you kind of realize that, you go, well, gosh, we're not so special. And you start to see that, you know, all you're really, you know, how you're going to make money is really, it's formulaic in some way. And I can sort of talk about what the formula looks like for us, but it's, it's also kind of similar to what every business does. Yeah. And, and this kind of, a, a, I guess, awakening type or, or insight came after reading the goal and then kind of thinking through that same process that, that you all use, right? 
Yeah. Well, the gold and lean thinking and the, and the whole bunch of other stuff. And we ended up in 2018, I wrote a book with a friend of mine who has a um, cloud-based legal software company called Rocket Matter. And my friend, Larry Port, we wrote a book called um, The Lean Law Firm, which is, it's very much like an homage to the goal. And in, in some ways it has a, you know, a novel aspect of it. It's actually a graphic novel with like illustrations and things in there where this guy kind of has to come into this dying firm and try to resurrect it and um, kind of has this mentor figure that has a bicycle factory <laughs> that of course bicycle factory is always the best analogy because everybody understands it or thinks they do so um, you know he has this guy that's sort of in the goal they have a guy named Jonah and in our book it's uh, a gentleman named Guy Chaplin who is has this bike factory and there's this whole backstory but um, he just kind of says, look, your law firm's just like a bike factory. And here's, here's how you do all these different things, you know, to, to make it run the right way. Um, but a whole, and, and the, sort of there's the, 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 the key lesson of the whole thing is that this is how you make money. There's like a formula to it. And all it is, is um, how much is each you have, you know, what, what we call in our firm, a case unit, which is sort of like a, anything that can move on its own. Like if I, if I sue Bank of America, and I'm not saying I would sue Bank of America, but I have sued Bank of America lots of times because it's a blast. But let's say, I <laughs> hope, hope they're not your podcast sponsor. Right. Um, nope. So let's say I represent somebody against Bank of America and that case, it's just Joe Smith versus Bank of America. That case has a certain value. You know, I mean, if I do really well at it, maybe that value goes up. And if I do badly at it, maybe that go value goes to zero. But that case can has a certain process that it moves through, you know, and, and the more it can be standardized in my firm, the faster I can move it typically. But um, let's just say that that case is worth $5,000 in my pocket uh, as a lawyer, you know, it's worth more to the client than that, but my fees based on a percentage. So I what I'm going to make on that case is $5,000. Well, you kind of figure at some point that like, you know, you can, you can look at your numbers over time and say, look, on average, my cases are worth about $5,000 to me. Some of them are worth a lot more. Some of them are worth a lot less, but that's what they're worth on average. Right. So you're kind and of creating like a median. Yeah. Like an average unit average. value, almost like a price for a bicycle or something like that. Right. So if, once you know that and you can say, well, I'm trying to make, and I'll just make up an easy number here. $500,000 this year, then I know I got to put 100 uh, uh, cases across the finish line, case units across the finish line that year. And if I do that, you know, that's not a sure thing, but I'm likely to make about that much money because the law of averages tells me that that's true. And so what you start to see is, you know, a lot of, I think, advice geared towards lawyers is like getting them to is like sort of geared on the marketing end. Like, here's how you get more clients. Here's how you get more clients. And I do consulting for other law firms sometimes. And almost never is their problem that they have not enough clients. Almost always their problem is like, we don't do, when we get them, we don't do, we don't handle it quickly enough or the right way. Right. Um, because what you, the other half of the equation, like if we say each case unit's worth $5,000 is, well, how many of them can you get across the finish line in a year? And that's called your throughput or your throughput rate. Yeah. So if I, if, if I put a hundred across the finish line every year uh, or in a year, that's my, um, it's like almost like miles per hour, like it's sort of a speed measure, then very simply my income formula is just going to be a hundred Th uh, throughput of 100 times 
case unit value of 5,000, I'm gonna probably make about $500,000. So the big shift for me was always to look at that and say, you know what? case unit value. I don't have a ton of control over that. Like I get this case and it sort of is what it is and I can make it better and maybe I can, you know, make it a lot better. But in the end, it's an insurance adjuster or a judge or a jury or a lawyer on the other side that's going to put a value on that case. I can't like just set a price tag on it and say, here's the value. Somebody else gets to decide that because in the law and litigation, if push comes to shove, some third party tells you what your case is worth and it might be zero. Right. Um, so that I don't have a ton of control over. But what I have a lot of control over is like, how long is that going to stay between the start and finish lines in my system? You know, um, if I and that gets into something called cycle time, which is, you know, where you have like throughput rate is 100 per year. Cycle time is on average, how long does it take your unit to get from point A to point B? And that's what really all these the goal is about when you talk about the theory of constraints, um, it's sort of like that idea that um, a, ch a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Right. Uh, and a process is only as fast as sort of its slowest part. And so what you're always trying to do is say, well, this is what slow the slowest part of this is right now. How do we make that part faster? And once you make that one part of your process faster, you're going to have some new constraint that pops up someplace else. And then you're going to figure out how to make that one faster. But over years and years of making every part of it faster all the time, like a guy walking around with a can of WD-40, <laughs> it gets pretty fast. And that, yeah. and, and you have tons and tons of control over that. And especially, and I know I'm just going on and on. Do you, yeah, so that's I, fantastic. Yeah. Um, where you really, where people who do project-based work, kind of like you or me, because that's kind of how we think of ourselves as some, we have some client that wants something done, where we get killed is a place that we never think of us getting killed. And that is when we let stuff sit there for no reason. Totally. That's what, yep. that's what destroys us. Yep. And because what you, when you start to do the math and you realize that your cycle time is affecting your throughput and that you're, you know, your throughput is going to determine how many units you put across the finish line and how much money you make, you realize that you can't let stuff sit. And so um, that's all you, what you should be doing is designing a process that's a raw material on the left side to a output on the right side process that has as few steps in it as possible and moves as quickly as can and avoids these situations where things are sitting there like in a queue for no reason. Yeah. Uh, so, so with, I mean, you have an intentionally small team. Yeah. Uh, you said, you know, big, boutique team, unlike many law firms or, you know, uh, or how people think about law firms. So, does your whole team buy into that? I mean, is it something that you all train against and, and, you know, focus on in terms of, you know, cycle times and, and throughput rate? Yeah, we, we uh, quite a bit, actually. That's the, they understand when we, when we lay out goals for the beginning of the year. The goals are like, this is the outcome that we hope to achieve income wise. Um, and to do that, we need to have an average um, case unit value of X. So, and when we know like to the penny over eight years, what that's like, what that number it ha is on average. So we could say, let's try to increase that maybe 5%, you know, and then let's say that our average case unit value is 5,000. And we go, let's try to take that to 5,250. That's a very small change. So that's doable. Um, and then what we look at then is like, well, to put 
just say hypothetically 100 across the finish line this year, what does our cycle time have to be to do that? And we just make a calc, there's, I have a way to calculate that. It's, it's, you can use something called Little's Law to do that. And it will, Little's Law will tell you how fast your, your cycle time needs to be um, and will tell you um, how much inventory you should have at any particular time probably to achieve that. And then, so they're very much bought into the idea of this case is getting too old. You know, this case is hanging around too long. Um, and to get really granular about it, you know, cases with more value actually can hang around longer because you're still gonna do okay on that. Right. But cases with low value, you gotta get them in and out like fast, which is yeah. very counterintuitive. You think I gotta put all my work in my best cases or my most valuable cases. But really, it's those little ones without much value hanging around that are like, they're getting you sometimes. That's and a, so, yeah. that's fascinating. I, I just was Googling while you were saying that, which I want to come back to. But um, yeah. there's an explanation of Little's Law from Toggle, the time tracking app. Yeah. And uh, they, they use a taco business to uh, explain it. But it's yeah. fat, I, I, I keep forgetting this. I've, I've heard you talk about it so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something... I guess recently, you know, especially with the pandemic and everyone being on lockdown and stuff and having conversations with colleagues who were all kind of going through the same ups and downs we were uh, last year. I mean, we had a yeah. great year, but, you know, there were some points where everything just fell out the bottom because right. something would happen or there would be a new lockdown or there would be, you know, schools aren't opening and marketing budgets would shift, you know, almost overnight. So retainer clients would go away and then they would come back and yeah projects that we had signed wouldn't show up and then all of a sudden they would show up two weeks later like okay we need this and <laughs> so it was just kind of a, a, a chaotic year yeah. um, and uh, there's so many other other like marketing and marketing tech agencies i've talked to that went through the same thing and one of the common refrains i kept hearing was you know our estimation for what we were going to make was so far off either up or down because mm-hmm. we couldn't predict kind of in a you know, week to week, month to month, like, okay, we're going to have this much revenue or this much profit this month. And uh, something like this would, I think, really help if, you know, you, people kind of slowed down and said, okay, you know, I know we've got this huge project for 20, 25 grand over here and these little, you know, 500,000, $2,000 projects over here. Right. You know, where do we need to focus our energy to get these things done? Because everyone's in a hurry. Yeah. Got, you know, we're going to have angry clients and they're not going to refer us and that's going to lead to the end of the world. <laughs> so yeah, something like this really can help you sit back and say, okay, we've got this much uh, raw material and we need to produce this in order to make this to keep the lights on. So how do we do that? Right. And that's, that's constantly like, you know, as a business owner, that's my biggest struggle is figuring out where to, to apply, you know, my focus, my direction, my energy and not getting caught up in the huge projects and saying, oh, well, I've got this thing going on over here. Let me make sure you know, that's getting through and, and lowering the cycle time for that. I think that's a really great way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely, and you know, just to everybody who listens who, you know, went through, we all went through a rough last year. And I mean, it, it if you survive, you know, that's good enough for last year, really, because I mean, it's nothing's going to make everything easy ever. You know, people who want to sell you like a solution is like, oh, just do this and invest in my six step process and the rest of your life will be a breeze that just doesn't exist. I mean, things are, um, you know, work is always work in some ways. But this what I do feel like this gives you 
And what it's given me is like the ability to sustain things like this when we have like these weird situations without like a lot of drama, you know, I mean, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be harder and this will be harder, but I have a very clear idea of like what to do because of that. And that is really because, and I do want to get back to one other piece of, I guess, tech that we stole from people in your, your field mostly, um, which is the idea that this process should be visually, you know, once you say, okay, well, here's what my numbers are. You really need to lay out your workflow in a visual left to right way. It's not just a metaphor that I get raw material in on the left and on the right, it comes out and something happens in the middle. You should have a way of seeing where all your projects are like in real time. And like the yeah. best tool we've ever found, you know how like I love Kanban boards. Um, to the point that I've, you know, mispronounced them all the time. I'm sure <laughs> the correct Japanese pronunciation doesn't sound like somebody from Columbia, South Carolina saying it, but right. the, um, they, having a product like Trello, which a lot of people who, you know, do software programming are really familiar with or, or something. Yeah, that's what we use in-house. Yeah, you guys use Trello. We've talked about Trello a bunch, you and I, and I use a product called Rindle now, which is, is sort of a, uh, it's a lot like it's a Kanban board like Trello, but it sort of takes the automation that you can use with sort of third party apps and kind of allows it sort of brings it into the, the app itself. It's kind of like a very advanced Trello. It's a very advanced Trello that right. you can set a lot of rules so that when somebody checks off this, this moves here and this gets done, it has a lot of sort of you know automation going on in the background. And you can represent things on multiple boards, which for certain reasons is really helpful um, for what we do. But you, you have this idea that you have this big main Kanban board. And on the left is your sort of your prospects, raw material, and sort of the, where your process begins. You know, we have almost like your starting line. And on the right, you have your finish. And your, your job every day is to say, well, what's, what is where? And how do I get it to the finish line? What's stopping it from moving? And one of the things you asked about like staff training that are that my two paralegals, Christy and Janelle, who are really cool and great, um, amazing are really people. amazing people and very smart, but they're very attuned to when things get blocked because they know to the, we put a label on on it, you know, it says block, you know, and what, well, what's blocking this? Why, you know, why is it, why is it not moving forward right now is a question we ask a lot. And usually it's because of a couple of things. There's only a couple of reasons, well, to get really macro there's two reasons there's either a good reason or no reason so <laughs> right. the, the good reason might be or a reason might be that it's a resource is is not um available like if something is waiting on me to do it and i'm doing something else then i by definition can't do that at the same time and so you have like some issue of like resource scarcity you know there's one person that can do this and that person's busy so that's that tells you something in your system that probably ought to get changed a little bit. You know, that's if, if that happens, well, what can we do to minimize that, um, you know, systemically? But the other reason would be in our industry, like there's, a, there's some external block, you know, me not doing it because I'm doing something else is an internal block. There's an external block, which is, well, the court, we're waiting on the court, you know, for this, and we just can't get around that. You just have to live with that sometimes. You can't fix that when you, right. when it, but if it's a client that's blocking, you know, we still need this from them, then they descend upon that client like the angel of death to get what we need. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, the, and that's where my, my combine board falls apart. Because <laughs> I'm so terrible at following up with clients and saying, 
hey, we talked about this last Wednesday. Now it's uh, the next Thursday and you haven't gotten me this and this and this. And right. we've got a deadline coming up and this thing is blocked. I wish I could do that. And Mariana yells at me all the time for this. Um, and it, it's the reason why our, our business, you know, is, is so frustrating for for her because uh, I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> like, well, I'll, I'll follow up with an email later today, but blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, do that. That's blocked. That's the first thing you need to do. Oh, anyway. She's right about it. But I mean, that's yeah, the kind no. of thing that you can also solve with automation too. And, and I'm, I'm not quite smart enough to, to do that, but there are apps that will, um, you know, put a drip on somebody to, um, you know, get them to, to do what they're supposed to do, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, things like you can do like that, um, you know, and it's always like we, when I say things will never be perfect and easy, I mean, part of us all being humans is that as humans, we have to say, well, I don't want to push this guy too far. You know, there's a certain, you got to sort of weigh the, am I going to drive this person crazy to the point where I drive them off or not, <laughs> right. you know, but, you know, to, to have some tactful pressure to get what we need. Um, but a lot of times, you know, those are reasons why things are blocked. A lot of times the reason is no reason, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And that's, and you're also on the hunt for those. So they're pretty attuned to looking for those things, but it's only once you start to sort of spread things across a board that these things become apparent to you. Um, that's, and that's, and so good. that's good. Yeah. Well, you see what you're really, I mean, it's a visual representation of what you're actually doing. Right. And it's not like a to-do list in a notebook or you know, right. an app or something. All right. Yeah. I, know, I know you've got to run. So let me ask you one more thing sure. uh, or two. When, okay. when you lay everything out on, on your board, what, and, and you or the team are looking at it, do you keep um, like a internal block and external block categories or, or columns, or do you just say block? Um, we keep an external and internal okay. um, so that they can see what the cause of it is. And um, a pro tip on Trello, you know, Trello has this pirate mode which is, um, I, I, is cool because as cards sit there for a long time in the same column, they start to kind of like wither and age like pirate parchment. I don't know if you've ever, if yeah, you know, have card, card aging. Uh, card aging, yeah. It's like card aging where the card actually starts to like disintegrate in front of you. It breaks my heart when I see this. It, it does. And you're like, on, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's cool. But yes, we do have those in the board. And a lot of what I do with the board that's a cool thing, and you could do this in Trello, is to filter it. So if I want to see what's everything that's blocked right now, you know, if we have like a tag on there that says it's blocked, I can filter on that and just say, well, here's all, and it'll just show me only the things that are blocked right now. So you know, those are things that need attention. Or if my, you know, have like little icons, you know, one for me, one for Janelle, one for Christy. And if I want to see, um, well, what is it? What do I got to do this week? Because we have a meeting at the beginning of each week and say, here's who's doing what. Um, and so I can filter down and say, here's the stuff I have to do. And really the way I work that's mostly replaced like any sort of a to-do list is to um, filter, you have this meeting, everybody has their assignments. I filter down my board to what I got to do and I just work on moving stuff. You know, yeah. what do I got to do to move this? And once I've done everything I can on that, I take my icon off it, it disappears off my filtered board. And, you know, by the end of the week, I might, I might start with uh, at the beginning of the week, you know, 35 cases that I got to work on and I end week and I'm usually five or six left. So I know I'm doing the right thing. It's a very, you know, in a, in a foggy environment, it's a pretty clear dashboard about what you're really doing. So that's really good. Which and, is so important because um, I mean, I, I think with, you know, everyone's experiencing, you know, pandemic brain and right, like you said, everything's hazy and foggy and, you know, motivation is, is a, a big issue for a lot of people right now. A lot of people are struggling with, you know, just 
going through the motions of, of moving things and doing things. Right. Uh, so having, yeah, having that laid out like in a really simplistic sort of dashboard that says, hey, he, you know, here are your actions. It's not a to-do to list, like this is part of a bigger project, but you know, here's your next steps so that we can right. make money and you can pay the rent. Yeah, which is, turns out to be important. People, you know. <laughs> Adulting is hard. It sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> Man. Well, Dave, yeah. that, that's fantastic. Um, hey, I'm happy to, to, to talk to you about it. You're always, um, you have always given me such good ideas and shown me such cool stuff that I'm happy to uh, sound semi-intelligent for <laughs> even a short period of time. I'll stop. No, it, it's, it's, always, <laughs> it's always so fascinating for me to see how companies are using these tools like Trello or Toggle or, or what, what was your Kanban board's name? Rindle. Rindle, that's right. Okay. Yeah, which is a great, a really good app. Um, and I love Trello too, but Rindle is kind of next level. And, and I've actually messed with a lot of these, but that one is the one that to me is like, wow. And let, let me tell you what I guess is really different about it because I mentioned mirroring on it. Yeah. This, and if you do have like a shop that has four or five, six people on it, you know, one of the challenges is for people to know, it's like great for them to be able to see this big board in real time, really helpful, critical, indispensable. But for them to know, like, okay, well, what do I got to do this week? You know, we, the way our board is set up is so that everybody has, or both my staff members have like their individual boards. And when they get assigned something on the big one, it goes to, it mirrors to a very simple board that is like, almost like not done, done, you know, just like two, three columns or something like that. And they can see like, here's all the stuff I got to do. And, and you can, if you want to make things really simple, like my job is to move this from not done to done this week, you know? And so they have a very clear um, idea of what their role is within the larger picture. Um, yeah, so it's not, and they're not constantly helpful. trying to ask you or ask each other like, hey, did you do this? Or do I need to do this? Or um, uh, what do I need to do this week? Which is the hardest part of managing a team is, is making that frictionless kind of, Thing where everyone knows what they were supposed to be doing in a, in a affirmative and, and, you know, progressive way. Right. Right. Yeah. That's it. So, so it sort of solves that challenge. And um, yeah, I mean, it's very, very helpful. And if I could leave everybody with like one last tip about like where things get caught, because it's, it's, uh, there's two places where in most systems they get caught in my experience for us at least. And I think, it, but I do think this is kind of, applies to a lot of businesses. A lot of things get caught at the end. Like you sort of think I've done everything with this, but you're not maybe paid yet. Or there's like something that's like hanging. You sort of have mentally scratched it off your list, but it's not done. And most importantly, if it's a get paid at the end job or get your final bill paid job, you haven't got that yet. Until that's done, you can't move that off the list. So focusing at the yeah. end of your list really quickly at the beginning of the week is really important because you got you'll you'll find all these things are like hanging right at the edge of the wastebasket and just need this little nudge. And so you got to give them those little nudges. And then the other place is at the beginning. Like you'll take in this new project and you'll have it and it'll sit and you won't start it. And that's what's getting you too, because every day it's not like sitting with within sort of you know, for what, what for us is usually filing a, some kind of a claim, it's every day is adding to cycle time. So we're really big. I'm really big at like my main job is to get those things started because I, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep that cycle time down. Yeah. So yeah. mathematically it, it seems to work, but those are the two places I really focus and, and seems to be 
in most businesses, places where things kind of get jammed. Yeah, and it's where people don't focus because we think the middle of the board or the middle of the process where you're actually doing stuff is where you need to put all the attention for all these projects. Yeah. You'll find that, yeah, the middle kind of takes care of itself sometimes in some ways. I mean, there's things you have to do, but yeah. there's a certain flow and pull to it, especially like in the legal profession, which has a lot of sort of this happens, then this happens, and then there's a deadline for this. Those deadlines will kind of are almost like chains that pull things through the middle, but there's no such deadline like on the front or the end that's a great that's way of putting it and i think yeah. that applies for so many people i mean that's where businesses that's um yeah that's good yeah I know that, again that's that's where i get hung up is i look at my board or i look at my to-do list or I look at whatever and i see you know the big part that i have to do that i'm responsible for and i'll let it sit over in the done column <laughs> for two weeks after i've done it and the person hasn't paid or, you know, the company hasn't paid and it, it's like, well, why didn't I get paid for that? Why, you know, and that's the whole, <laughs> that becomes a project in itself. And yeah. It's, we are, we are here after all to try to get paid <laughs> and make the world a better place, but you can do both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a balancing act. It awesome. is. Well, thank you, Dave. That, that was, I think really powerful. I think people are going to get a lot out of, out of that. I hope so. And, and thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I, if anybody has questions, I guess they could. Do you want me to say like how to get hold of me or anything? Yeah, like yeah, that? please. I've, I've got everything linked down in the show notes. But yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, well, tell, you can no, tell people. Sure, you can mess, message me at Twitter at, at @consumerlawsc. Um, that would work. Or you could I take emails too. I still answer emails. Dave at consumerlawsc, like South Carolina dot com. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll have links to Lean Law Firm and all that, and your podcast and and everything we've discussed here, but. Uh... Yeah, I think I think you've, you've helped a lot of people. Great. That's what I'm here for, Sam. Hi, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.